Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And this evening we're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 12, starting to read at verse 17 through to verse 10 of chapter 13. So let's read those verses together. So Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and he had each head, on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne, and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God, and to slander his name, and his dwelling place, and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints, and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nations. All inhabitants of the earth, all worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you again for your word. Thank you that we can have the freedom to be able to read it together and to read it in your presence. And our Father, we just pray that you will guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you will just speak to us through these words that we've read in your presence. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So Revelation 12, 17 through to verse 10 of chapter 13. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to the Walker Art Gallery, but in the Walker Art Gallery, there's a painting of the ruins of Holyrood Chapel. It was painted by Louis de Gouri in 1824. Now, at first glance, it looks like an uninteresting painting of a dilapidated building bathed in moonlight. If you go in the art gallery, it hangs on the wall halfway up the stairs that lead up to the main gallery. Now, my interest in this painting began when one time I was standing there listening and I was listening in on this lady and she stood patiently describing the detail of the painting to her partially sighted husband. And after seeing the intricate detail in that painting through the lens of that woman's eyes, whenever I have been 
to the gallery and if I go again I will always stop halfway up the stairs and take in more of the beauty of the painting that most people miss as they hurry past. They hurry past without noticing the depth and the detail that the artist had created in that painting. Now, what is the best way to view Revelation? Well, the best way to view Revelation is through what we might call the gospel lens. What do I mean by that? Well, first, we must view the, view the Bible as being the inherent word of God, as we accept that it is the permanent and the essential truth that every human being needs to hear, and that by definition, its power goes beyond the limitations of this world, meaning that it is supernatural. Secondly, we must see the importance of world history. Why? Because it confirms what we know about our human nature. We observe its successes and its failures. And these things confirm to us that none of us are perfect and that there is sin in the world. Thirdly, we must recognize that the generation that we live in is continuing to expose the depravity of man's heart, and in contrast, it's showing us the love that God has for us, a love that was expressed in the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. Now, all these things come together as they come into focus when we view them through what we can call the gospel lens. People from every generation have asked the same questions. The questions that people are asking today. Who are we? Why are we here? Where did we come from and where are we going? Now we can only make sense of these questions when we view them through the gospel. The Bible that is God's inherent word answers all these questions and it helps us understand these things more clearly when we listen to God as he tells us firstly who he is and then he shows us who we really are. Now in the words of Paul in Romans 16 verse 25 through to 27, this is what Paul said. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaimed about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. And Paul adds his amen to the end of that, just as we can. So let's take these thoughts with us as we continue to develop our understanding, an understanding that we gain by God guiding us as he helps us to see something of the mystery hidden for long ages past. That is, now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, who is the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. 
In our reading last week, we read in Revelation 12, verse 17, the verse that we started with this evening, Then the dragon was enraged the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. What we have here is a conflict. Now, in truth, we are no strangers to conflict. We have an inner conflict that Paul speaks about as we, as he reminds us of the eternal, uh, internal battle that we as believers have within ourselves. You can read this in Romans 7, it's verse 18 and 20. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. This is inner conflict that we have. Confliction can also be caused by minor things such as a disagreement between us about what what TV program we'll watch this evening. At the other end of the scale, conflict between nations can and does develop into wars. Now, whether the conflict is between individuals striving for personal uh, preference or people in sport who want to win the prize or between nations striving for power, the aim is always the same. It is a battle of will. The battle of will between two contenders. Now, the conflict between the dragon and the woman is symbolic of the conflict between the will of God and the will of his adversary, who is Satan. God's will is to seek and to save. Satan's is to deceive and destroy. God's will is to love and lead. Satan's is to undermine and to separate. We read, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war. Who did he wage war against? Against the rest of her offspring. Who are they? Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Now, let's stop for a moment. Let's just take some words of encouragement for us this evening. Words from Jesus as he spoke in Matthew 5, verse 10 through to 12. He said this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then it goes on, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here in Revelation, Satan brings doubt and deception against God's truth and our trust. Now, we've already seen how Satan sowed doubts about God in the hearts of Adam and Eve, how he tried to destroy God's chosen people, Israel, and how he tried to deter Jesus, the Messiah, from his mission of salvation. Now, we know that he thought that when he destroyed 
or he thought that he had destroyed God's plans when Jesus died at the hands of the very people he had come to save. What did, when did Satan know that he lost the battle? And not only that, but now he couldn't win. Well, this is when God became man, when God entered on behalf of mankind, entered this world on behalf of mankind and defeated death by what? By his resurrection, causing heaven to rejoice. Revelation 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So at the resurrection of Jesus, there's joy in heaven. At the same time, there is woe brought to the earth. Satan's efforts since that point are now directed at persecuting the church. Satan's power is limited. So he will use any means he can to inflict what we might call collateral damage to God's kingdom. Damage that will come from both inside and from outside of the church. And he will make use of man's sinful nature in order for him to achieve this. Now, we in our sinful nature, the truth is we're capable of being deceived as well as being able to practice deception. Here's the question. The question is, how far will we go with this? And how far we will go with this depends on whose will we follow. Through the gospel lens, Jesus makes it clear that there'll be no middle ground, no fence to sit on. Matthew 12, verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me, scatters. And then he goes on in Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In some versions, it's God and mammon. This word money, this word mammon, mammon, it, 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 doesn't restrict it to finance money. It extends to the love of any material thing that will separate us from loving God and thus separates us from the love of God. So Revelation 13, we have conflict between Satan and the woman. Let's just read verse 1 through to 4. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they also worshipped the beast and asked, 
Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Now, in those few verses that we've just read, that short passage, we come across phrases such as, it resembled, or it is like those of, or like that of, or it seemed to have, and then who is like. Now, it's not an easy passage to unpick in a book that is not easy or even possible to completely understand. And this is why I asked you to read Daniel chapter 7. Why? Because it can help us understand the symbolism used here in Revelation. Firstly, it's God who's speaking to both Daniel and John. Secondly, What God has to say to both of them is relevant to their generation. And thirdly, what God has to say to them also has a bearing on future generations, such as you and I. Now this evening, as profitable as it would be, I don't want to speak about and and unpack the meaning of those Old Testament passages. But I do want us to take note of the symbolic way that God spoke to his prophets, such as Ezekiel, Daniel, and others. Now, for example, let's take Daniel. Daniel, uh, that I mentioned, first of all, in Daniel chapter 2, You'll probably remember the, the, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar sees in his dream. And God interpreted that dream through the, through the eyes of Daniel. The statue represented the coming of future earthly kingdoms. And within the text, if you read it through, we have a reference to God's eternal kingdom. Now in Daniel chapter 7, the passage I said read through in relation to Revelation 13, In chapter 7 of Daniel, Daniel sees four beasts coming out of the sea, also representing earthly kingdoms. And in his vision, Daniel is given an insight into God's everlasting heavenly kingdom. Now, the reason that I suggested that we read Daniel chapter 7 was so that we could see that God is speaking to John, who is on the Isle of Patmos, in the same way that he spoke to the old Testament prophets. Daniel 7 verse 2 and 3. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea. Where did the beasts come from? And what did the four beasts look like? Well, we read that they came out of the sea. And as we've seen in the book of Job, for the people of the Old Testament, the sea was seen as being a representation of danger and the presence of evil. Daniel 7 verse 4, the first was like a lion and it had wings of an eagle. Verse 3, the second beast looked like a bear. Verse 6, the third one that looked like a a leopard, and verse 7, the fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. Now in Revelation chapter 13, in John's vision, Revelation 13 verse 1 and 2, the dragon stood on the sea, on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns. 
and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had the feet of those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. John sees just one beast that comes out of the sea. This one beast had the combined features of the four beasts seen by Daniel. In both visions, the beast represents agents of Satan. John tells us the dragon is Satan. Revelation 12 verse 9, the great dragon was held down, that ancient snake called the devil or Satan. In both visions, the beast is seen as being the evil influence that Satan, the dragon, has over the nations. We read that the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Now, to stand on something is representative of having control over it. Satan will use whatever power he has to inflict as much damage as possible in the time that he has left. Listen to what Jesus said to his followers as he told them why he must leave them and why they needed the Holy Spirit to be with them in the battle that was ahead of them. We read this in John 16, verse 7 through to 11. And I want to just read these words to you as we just make comments on them as we go. And Jesus said, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, we in this battle are not alone. The passage goes on. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. You know, the world is wrong, but this is confirmation that through Jesus we know the truth. And Jesus went on, he said, about sin, because people do not believe in me. You know, he's telling us what the world is like, what it was like and what it will be like. Then he goes on, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. Well, we can't see Jesus no longer. Doesn't mean he's not there. He is there. Why is he there? He is there as our mediator. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Satan stands, but he stands on the shore of the sea, but he stands condemned. He's defeated already. But Satan is in the business of disguising the truth with lies. He's in the business of deception, how? By twisting God's word. And he's in the business of providing counterfeit replications of the true Redeemer. A counterfeit of the true Redeemer is seen as being the beast. The beast who is clothed in the fake garments, displaying imitation powers as he seeks to lead the world away from the truth of God and away from the true God. The ten horns and the seven heads emulate the numbers that represent completeness. The horns represent power and the crowns or the diadems are the authority of the beast and they are imitations of the power and authority of the one who is the Lamb of God. That is Jesus. 
And Jesus said that many would come in his name. And we know that the most convincing imposter is the one who masquerades as the genuine article. The true identity of the beast is revealed to us in the phrase, and on each head a blasphemous name. That's his true identity. So we come to verse 5 and 8 of Revelation 13. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those name, all, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Like the blasphemous name it carries on its head. The words that it speaks are blasphemous words. It belittles God's heavenly authority as it tries to usurp God's throne. It's given power to wage war on God's people. Its time is limited. And while during that time, although some whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will lose their lives while here on earth, those who have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life have their heavenly place secured. Those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life will suffer God's judgment. You know, again, we have this passage here that we are viewing through the gospel lens. The gospel is here. Verse 9 through to 10. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, they will be killed by the sword. You know, we've heard these words before at the beginning of John's letter when he said, whoever has ears, let them hear. But the beginning of this letter of revelation he actually added this whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to the churches but here in verse 9 the call is a reminder to us all that whatever we think or whatever happens the truth is that god in his wisdom is still in control the dragon satan He's not omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent. That is, he's not all-powerful, he's limited. He's not all-knowing, he doesn't know everything. He's not all-present, he can't be everywhere. His abilities are limited. And the time that he has to exercise the power that he has is also limited. Why? Because God's final day of judgment approaches The men and the women of history who have distorted and abused the good things of God's creation and his gospel. Things that have turned the world against him. How? By distorting his truth. By discrediting his son. 
They are no different to those people who, when Jesus walked this earth, he spoke to them about these things. John's Gospel, John, the writer of Revelation, in his Gospel, chapter 8, verse 42 to 47, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? And he gives the answer. Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is what John said in his gospel. And in Revelation he writes, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Our Father, we just ask that you open our eyes that we might understand enough of these things to recognize who you are, to recognize who we are, and to see that although we might suffer in this world, we have that eternity secured with you. Amen. Well, just as we close, in the meantime, in the words of Jesus, as he spoke to the faithful, let him speak to us this evening as we close, from Matthew 24, verse 4 through to 8. And Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will, will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Let's just say amen to those words this evening as we close our time in this chapter of Revelation.